This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I was having lunch the other day with, with uh, my oldest son, Matt, who is a wealth of knowledge. And uh, <laughs> no, he actually, he actually is. He, he, he's, he's extremely bright and he, his ability to retain information. He keeps me from sounding like a geezer a lot of the times because he kind of keeps me up to date. But we were talking and, and he mentioned some people that he followed on the YouTube channel that had used to be in the ministry. Not only were they not in the ministry anymore, they had completely renounced their faith. And we talked about that, and, and, uh, it, but it really got me thinking. It got me thinking about what are we dealing with? Is it just congruent to this time, or is, is this something that has actually has existed for a while? What we found is this is something actually that has existed for a bit. We have, uh, we, we keep databases here. It's amazing the, the thousands of people that have come through. And then you look around and say, well, where are they? Well, sometimes I run into them out in public and they'll come up and say, hey, Alan, you know, we used to go to your church. That always blesses me. Uh, <laughs> but, they, but almost the ones typically that come up and say, hey, we used to go to your church, very few of them come up and say, hey, we used to go to your church. We didn't like your preaching, so we went somewhere else. Most people don't do that. And if, if you're feeling that way, don't tell that to me. <laughs> but what I found is a, a lot of them, I'll, I'll ask them, they say, hey, we used to go to your church. I say, I say, great, where are you in church now? And I'd say eight times, nine times out of 10. They, and they're like, oh, oh, you know, man, they're not anywhere. And that doesn't bless me either. I'd much rather hear them say, well, I'm involved in another church and we're doing well. So this morning, I, I, I want to talk about something that it's existed for a long time, but it's something we need to remind ourselves of. How do we stand strong? How do we stand strong in the Lord? It's, a, it's something that Paul wrote to the church and he wrote to four different churches. And he talked to them about standing strong. You see that theme. So let's talk about that theme this morning. There are, there are some negative forces that pull against us. There's distractions. I don't even know, it's, just so, it's so easy to get distracted now. Uh, years ago, now, this is when I sound like, back in the day, <laughs> back in the day when there was only three channels. <laughs> some of you are laughing because you can't believe that actually existed, but there was only three channels. And there was a day that there were three channels and no uh, remote. The youngest child changed all the channels for you. That's... But now you've, you've got, we've got internet, we've got a gazillion channels. There's so many entertainment options. There's so many groups. There's so many things. It's easy to get distracted. Outside influences, family influences, all these things going on. Life has gotten busy. It can be extremely distracting. And oftentimes, people just look at you and they go, man, we just got going on with some things and, and just fell away. Then there's disappointments. People are maybe in the church. Someone said something to you or someone did something or I did something. The church didn't meet your, your, your expectations. And, and it's not hard to put very high expectations on the church. I don't have a problem with that unless they become unrealistic. You can't ever think a church is perfect. Can't ever think anybody in the church. I know you think joy is perfect. Yeah. See? See? 
Good having Joy's brother here in the audience with us today. <laughs> but you can get you can get disappointed in church. You can get disappointed in, in God. Maybe some prayers didn't get answered like you thought they should. Uh, or you get disappointed in yourself. I find that to be a, a, the case a lot of times. Maybe, maybe there's just been one thing that keeps tripping you up and you think, I'm never going to get over this. I just give up. Let me encourage you not to give up. Just stay in the game. We're not mad at you. Neither is God. But people get away from this one. Difficulties would be the third one. Difficulties. People go through challenges. They go through difficult times. I, I, I used to, people used to tell me this more when we were smaller, but they would come up to me and go, hey, Alan, we're going through a hard time, you know, and some things are going on in the family, so you're not going to see us for a while. And I used to look at them and go, no. I said, when you're going through a difficult time, that is not the time to pull away from God. That's the time to stand strong and stand with him. Don't, that's not going to help you. And so, but oftentimes people, pressures, difficulties, people back away. And I, I thought that there were three, three D's. You know, that's kind of preachy, you know, three D's. <laughs> but there's four. And, and the fourth one is deception. There's deception out there. Man answered an ad uh, at, a, at a local zoo for a job. And when he went in, he was hoping maybe, he, 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 man, he was really low on money. He needed a job. He, he was hoping a caretaker or maybe even the janitorial staff. And they said, no, no, we don't have any openings that. He said, but our gorilla died and we have a lot of kids coming in the next couple of weeks. We, we need a, a gorilla replacement. So we have this gorilla suit and we need you to wear the gorilla suit. He's like, are you serious? He said, yeah, you wear the gorilla suit. He said, listen, all you gotta do is walk back and forth, beat your chest a little bit, eat a few bananas. Kids will love it, it's wonderful. Just, we'll go with it. He said, I need the money, I'll take the job. Showed up early the next morning, they put the gorilla suit on. Sure enough, man, kids begin to pour. Kids love the gorilla. He was actually starting to feel pretty good about it. You know, he's beating his chest and all the kids are going, ooh, ooh. he's eating bananas. He thought he might swing from the ropes a little bit. So he gets up and he starts swinging from the rope and he makes a move that would have been a good move for a monkey, but was a bad move for a man. And he fell right into the lion cage. And he landed in the lion cage and he's, he, he looks up and the lion spots him and the lion starts running over towards him and he's like, he, he forgets the gorilla thing. He starts screaming, help, help, help. And the lion gets a ride over him and leans down and goes, shut up or both of us are going to lose our job. <laughs> we got bigger problems than deceptive gorillas and lions out there, guys. We, we, have, we have fake news, but we also have deception. Paul wrote Timothy, he said, in the last days, some will depart from the faith listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We need to understand spiritually there's deception out there. Say, so, well, Alan, that's great. You're giving us four things. They all start with D and they're negative. Is there anything that counteracts that? Yes, there is. God wouldn't leave us without a remedy. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he wrote them and he, he told them they were going through a very intense persecution not just culturally, not where people looked down on them, although that was part of it, but economically, and some were even being jailed for it. And he wrote them, wrote them this in 1 Thessalonians 3. 
He said, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. He said, we're sending Timothy to you. Now I think it's interesting that Timothy was sent to them. A person was sent to them to strengthen them and encourage them in their faith. Well, why? Because the stronger you are and the more encouraged you are in your faith, then when those distractions and disappointments and difficulties and deceptions come against you, you're not moved off course. You can stand. And I think it's fascinating that he, that he didn't say, be strengthened and encouraged. He sent Timothy to them. Do you realize that God will use people to strengthen and encourage your faith? God, can you say, people, I don't know anybody like that, Alan. You're looking at someone like that. That's my job. When you come in here, our objective is that when you leave here, you are encouraged and strengthened in your faith. So when problems hit, it's not that problems don't ever hit, but when they do, you don't get moved all around. You're able to stand firm. That's what we do. That's our job as the church. And then Paul said, you see his heart. He said, we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Boy, I can understand that. I'm not blessed when you say, what happened to so-and-so? And they're like, well, they're out of church. That doesn't bless us. What blesses us is to hear that people are still going on with God, still standing. I talked to a lady down here in the front one, one Wednesday. She came down. She was disturbed. She'd read a story about, about a, a church in a communist country being persecuted and a lot of oppression. She said this, in this church, she said they were they were getting ready to have church service when three guys with, with, with uh, submachine guns stepped in and said, all you unbelievers can go ahead and leave now. I want the Christians just to stay. And she said, a few people got up and quickly left the church. Then the soldiers turned and looked at the pastor and said, okay, pastor, we cleared out all the spies. Let's go ahead and have church. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's urban legend. It sounds like something that could have happened, say, in a communist country. But it disturbed this lady because she kept saying, Alan, I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I could have stayed there if they were actually going to shoot people. I don't know if I have the faith to die for Christ. And I'm, I'm thinking about how to answer, and I'm, I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit who gives us answers. I said, I said, don't worry about dying for him. You just worry about living for him. You, you, don't need to, you don't need to put yourself in, could I do that? Could I do? Don't even worry about that. You just worry about, can I live for him today? Can I stand strong today? And then you go ahead and answer that with, yes, I can. I'll give you a story out of the Bible that has some, some interesting principles of strength and, and weakness and standing strong. We'll, we'll gain some lessons from it. It's a story of Elijah, and he was having a, a, a what they call the showdown on a mountain around Jerusalem called Mount Carmel. And Elijah had called for a drought. The Lord had spoken to him and called for a drought. Israel had faced a drought for three and a half years. It economically was wrecking them. But the country had turned away from God. And so Elijah asked for, a, uh, for all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, the, these prophets, to come. And there would be a, a, a meeting there on Mount Carmel. You see what happens here. So Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, that was the foreign god, is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, the people not saying anything is, is very revealing. 
because these were God's people. This, this was Israel, and they should have spoke up immediately and go, well, God's God, not Baal. They're not saying anything meant they were faltering between two opinions, wavering. And so Elijah proposed a challenge, and the challenge was, he said, we're going to get all the prophets of Baal, 450 of those guys, and all those prophets of, Ash, I think her name was Asherah. She was a, a goddess, a fertility goddess, a, basically a sex goddess. There were 400 of her prophets there. And they were all gathered. He said, you get, all you guys get together. You get a bull. You put it on the altar. Sacrifice it. Put it on the altar. Don't put any fire underneath it. So I'm going to take a bull. I'm going to put it on, on my altar. And then the God who answers by fire, he's God. Everyone said, good idea. That's finally when Israel spoke up. Okay, good idea. So they did that, the prophets of Baal. They started in the morning, and they were crying aloud. They were, they were dancing around. I mean, there's 450 of them. That's a lot of them. And they got all these other prophets of that other goddess, and they're all dancing. That was probably a big show. And Elijah's sitting over there watching them. There's nothing happening. And so Elijah starts talking trash. Some of you think that, the NBA started trash talk. <laughs> no, the Bible has trash talk in it. Because Elijah starts talking trash to these prophets of Baal. He said, y'all need to cry a little bit louder. I don't think he can hear you. And one translation said, he may be in the bathroom. <laughs> That's Old Testament trash talk. <laughs> he might be in the bathroom. Maybe he's reading. Maybe he's, you know. So he, they begin to not only cry louder, but then they begin to cut themselves with knives. Can you imagine that situation? They said there's blood gushing out all over the place, and these guys are screaming and dancing. And finally, by the end of the day, they wore out. They're done. No fire. No God, no fire. And Elijah speaks up, and here's what he says. He said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. That's another sign of a nation that had gone away from God. The altars where they would worship God, where they would acknowledge God, and the altar was torn down. There was no altar there. And so their worship of God had stopped. And that gave indication of where they were. Then we see what happens. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today you are God in Israel, and that I'm your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. This story is pretty amazing. Not only did God answer, he burned everything up. And the people finally got smart. They fell on their face and they said, the Lord is God, the Lord. You know, when it takes a miraculous sign to turn a nation again, that tells you their hearts had gotten hard. So they had this sign, the Lord is God. They finally spoke up, Lord is God. And then he took those prophets down there and, and later and you're reading, they find out really they killed about 850 of them. You think, well, that's horrible. He said, but actually, if you, if you look at the story, um, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, had been killing the Lord's prophets. And so she just reaped what she sowed. And they killed him. But think about it. In a nation dedicated to God, 
You don't need competing voices. And you don't need these false prophets. So it was, it was a nation that turned. Now let me jump into, into the application of that. What about us today? Because as I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, how do I stand strong? There's some answers here. I think one of the first one is you need to settle it in your heart. You need to settle the God question. In other words, if you're asked about something, you don't need to be silent about what you believe about God. That you don't simply need to go, you know, are, are you a believer? And you go, no, no, no. Do you believe in God? You need to say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe he's real. I believe he's good. Why, why, Alan, why, why is that important? Because it's what the heart man believes and what the mouth confession is made. Look, look at this verse here. With your heart that you believe and are justified, it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Guys, our faith is in two places, in our heart and in our mouth. And we need, you want the reality of God to increase in your life? You need to talk about him more. And, and I'm not saying you, you, you walk into your office throw open the door and go, I want to tell you wild heathen in here that God is real and you're all going to hell. That's not going to bless anybody. Don't do that. But I am saying that you need to have an answer in your mouth that you affirm what you believe. If I was standing here Sunday morning, you came down and said, Alan, by the way, I heard Joy's message from a couple of weeks ago. That was really good. I mean, that really blessed me and it helped me. She is such a godly woman. She, she's such a blessing. I know she's just such a huge blessing to you. She's so little and cute, but she's powerful. You said all that, and I stood there and looked at you. And I said nothing. When you left, and you went back, and you're walking out and say, you know, I talked to Pastor Allen. I said a whole lot of things, nice things about Joy. He said nothing. I mean, you know that's wrong? I mean, no, at least I should have gone, oh, Absolutely. She, she's a blessing. She's wonderful. She's, she's been a blessing. She's a blessing to this church. She is a godly woman. How many of you know that when someone says something that affirms what you believe, you ought to at least be able to say something about that as well. So when people start talking about God and I don't believe in God, you, you might as well just go ahead and speak up and say, I believe in him. Listen, affirm your faith, not your doubts. Too many people have been affirming, I don't know about this, and I don't know about this, I don't know about this. Stop worrying about what you don't know. What about what you do know? How about the fact that God's been good to you, the fact that he's real, the fact that you believe in him? That's a good time to speak up and go, I don't know about all that. I can't answer all those Bible questions, but I know what he's done in my life, and it's been good, and I know how he's helped me, and I know how he's had mercy on me. He's good. And someone may look at you like, man, and someone may go, could you tell me a little bit more? I'm dealing with some things. Here's the second thing is don't wait for a sign or demand a sign. Some people say, I, man, I, I, God needs to prove to me something. I'm, I'm going to give you a, a newsflash. God doesn't have to prove himself to anyone. He's God and he didn't prove it. But the idea is we believe before. We're believers. We believe before we see it. Jesus told this to Thomas. He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are the ones who go, I haven't seen God. I believe he's real. I hadn't seen Jesus die on the cross for me, but I believe he did. 
and I believe God raised him from the dead. Listen, faith is of the heart. It's not of the head. And we, we, we speak what we believe. We don't have to see anything. But if you stop and think about it, how many of us who follow the Lord for any length of time have seen him do some amazing things in our life? How many of us? Listen. There's a lot of us who could say, man, I was in trouble and God bailed me out. We had marriage problems and God saved our marriage. God healed my children. He did something in my life. He helped me. He delivered me. I used to be addicted to this, but I'm not addicted anymore. God can do amazing things. Don't wait for another sign. Appreciate the ones that have already come your way. He's real. He's God. And we just go, if he never did another thing for me, what he's already done convinces me of his reality in my life. Third thing is this. Don't be intimidated by all the voices that are out there. And the voices are increasing. You know, Elijah was dealing with 850 people and it was just him. That is definitely not a majority. When you're just one versus 850, but Elijah was, was banking on God being there. There's a lot of voices out there. In our culture now, the people who are expressing their disdain for God has increased. You're seeing more of it. And the, what we call in the media, there's a lot of voices. The media, the cultural elite, the intellectual elite, they're beginning to declare more and more, very bold now, about declaring there is no God, looking down on people that believe, thinking that you wasted your time by coming in here this morning. You didn't waste any time at all. You honored God by coming here today. You got your faith strengthened and you have something that can stand before, when everything else falls. And so the, the voices out there, we're just gonna have to learn to tamp them down because here's the deal. This gospel that we preach, you don't have to, you don't come to God by, by intellect. I know some people, they want to make the gospel, you know, they want to make it sound like it's really sh smart people do it. it is not, it's not through wisdom that we come to God. It's by faith that we come to God. We believe the message and that's how we come. I'm glad God did not make it on the basis of intellect. There's a lot of us that would have a problem. <laughs> he made it on the foolishness. Look, look what Paul wrote the Corinthian church. He said, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Listen, people may look down on you like, are you, you, you actually believe that? You, you foolish little person, you believe that. You might as well smile and say, yeah, I may look foolish to you, but I'd rather be honored by God than applauded by man. I trust that he is the one that has helped me and I know what he's done. And I know what he's done in my life. It's the power of God to salvation to those that believe it. And so we have to understand that it, it works differently. My pastor, John Osteen, was a fiery little guy. And... Uh, Man, he, and very bold. He had a personality that was super bold. He got in an elevator one time, and some people got in. They'd been partying and drinking, and they were cussing and using God's name in vain. He's in the back of the elevator. They didn't hardly see him. So all of a sudden, he just raises his hands in the elevator. It goes, glory to God. Glory, Lord, I want to praise you. I want to bless you. I give you glory and praise. It got quiet in the elevator. The doors opened. Every one of those people bolted off that elevator. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you do that. What I'm saying is that what I appreciated about him was 
He was not intimidated by the voices in the world that were competing with the voice of the gospel that said God's goods really loves you. And if you'll simply believe his gospel, it will absolutely change your life. Parenting tip. Parents, let me encourage you to do this. Let your children hear your voice. There's, is that an Amber Alert? <laughs> let your children hear your voice. There's a lot of voices out there. You don't have to be a, a, a scriptorian. You don't have to know a lot of scriptures. But you can, you can bow your head at, at the dinner table and say, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you've helped us. Let your children hear your testimony. Let your children know. We say, my kids are all grown and gone. Never too late to start. I want to tell you what God's done for me. You say, well, there's so many different competing voices out there. Your voice needs to be one of the strongest. Let them know. And then what you're doing is taking God from simply being a Sunday thing to making it a part of your life. Because they're going to leave your home one day. And trust me, they're going to hear a lot from the other voices. I heard someone say, well, Alan, I don't want to brainwash my kids. I want to brainwash them all I can. Because if I don't, I know there, there are others that will. And they don't have my values and they don't have what I believe. So I will do everything I can. So just, again, start where you are, but let them hear your voice. It'll make a difference. The last thing uh, is, is this. When Elijah built that altar, it an altar had been torn down. We need to build the personal altars in our life. Now, I'm not talking about that you actually take stones and make an altar. But the personal altar is that you have a relationship with God that's outside of church. Church is to strengthen and to encourage you. But you can have a relationship with God that is, it's real in your life and it, it's real through, through your expression. So how, how do I do that? If you'll just glorify him as God and be thankful, it's just good to say, Lord, you're good. Now listen, if you're not accustomed to doing that, it's gonna sound strange when you first start. But if you'll start, you'll begin to even sense his presence. Lord, I thank you that you are my God and I praise you. Oh, guys, there's nothing wrong with that. Lord, I want to thank you. Maybe the family's talking about, about some of the things. And it's good to stop them and go, you know, guys, I'm just thankful for what God has done. And you're, what, are you, what are you doing? You're, you're building that personal altar. What does that help you do? That strengthens your faith. That encourages your faith. And when things begin to come at you, you're not as prone to move. You're able to stand strong. 1983 was a, uh, an inaugural run, an ultra marathon from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne. It's about 550 miles roughly, which is roughly the same distance between here and Destin, Florida. It's a race and there's no buckies. <laughs> they, uh, they lined up to run had five very lean, fit guys in their 20s and 30s. And everyone kind of laughed when a, when a farmer stepped up. He had overalls on and he had work boots. Everyone else is dressed appropriately. He, he steps up. He was 61 years old. And people thought, oh gosh. His name was Cliff Young. And Cliff stepped up to run the race. Everyone thought he ain't gonna make it. And when he ran, he didn't run like normal people. He just kind of shuffled. 
the way you run those ultra marathons is you run for 18 hours and then you rest or sleep for six. So it's, it, like I said, 550 mile long run. What amazed everyone is at the end of the race, it was Cliff Young who showed up five days and 15 hours later. Five days later. And he beat those other guys by 10 hours. Which says never underestimate anyone in their 60s. <laughs> but what was, so they asked him, how in the world did you beat all these guys? And they found out that Cliff was a rancher. And when sheep would get lost, he would look, look for them for days to find them, which I think is interesting. Going after a lost sheep, he said, I learned to do this for days. He figured, he said, I could do this for a week. He never slept. He ran or shuffled straight five days and 15 hours. Said it was, when he finished, he said he felt the worst he's ever felt in his life, but the most elated he's ever felt in his life. He became a legend in Australia. And actually the ultra marathoners now have actually copied his shuffle because they find it conserves energy. Cliff Young, wasn't pretty. It wasn't impressive, but he won. My heart for you, my desire for you as a pastor is that you would stand strong in the Lord, that you would stay in the race. It doesn't have to be pretty and you don't have to compare it with anybody else. But if you'll stay in there, you can get this thing done. And at the end day, you'll stand before the Lord. He's going to look at you and go, well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm going to be right there on the sideline going, touchdown, baby, touchdown. You can do this. You can stand strong in the Lord. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Please, no one leaving or moving. We'll be out of here in just a moment. If you came and said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord, or I'm not sure about it, or maybe you're like I was. I had a relationship with God and I walked away and I knew in my heart I wanted to come back. And if you're sitting there today going, man, I know in my heart I, I, I want to reconnect. I want to come back. We're going to say a prayer. Either one of those situations applies to you. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to ask you to stand up and we're not going to ask you to come down to the front. But I want to give you an opportunity to make that connection or to reconnect. I am going to ask you to do one thing too. If that's you that I'm talking to and you say, Alan, would you... Would you pray for me? I, I want to come to the Lord or I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? We're going to do that. Would you acknowledge that just by simply slipping your hand up and saying, Alan, that's me. Would you guys pray for me? Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for your courage. It's not easy to do, but thank you for your courage. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Great. Thank you. Appreciate the hands that have gone up. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you didn't lift your hand, but really felt like I wanted to do this, you can still do this. This is a, this is a heart prayer. Remember we said, with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made. Pray it out loud so you can hear yourself. We're going to join you as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. 
I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who've come to you for the very first time and for those who've come home. We rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us, my heart and your heart, for all who are hearing me today, all who watch us on YouTube, is that they would stand strong in you, that they would not abandon their faith, that they would remain strong. And not only just stand strong, but they would be an influence to the people around them, to a world that so desperately needs to know you're good and you're God. Thank you for that today. Thank you for that hope and light that comes in our hearts and lives. We give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.